Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. So I'm not, I'm not a hoarder per se, uh, but there are certain items in my life that I, I really struggle to part with, particularly clothes. It's like one of those areas of my life where I just don't get rid of clothes until they're falling apart. Uh, if they, and even then, like, I'll, I'll probably like stitch them a few times and then maybe get rid of them. Like, I, I have clothes from high school that I still wear. Like, I have clothes old enough to, to drink alcohol. They're, like, they've been in my closet that long and they're like still a part of my life. I just, I just don't see the need to get rid of them until they don't work anymore. And, uh, and my wife is different. Because like for Lindsay, when she, when she gets to the point where she hasn't worn something in a few weeks, she's like, I never wear this. So let me just, let me just give it away. I'm not going to wear this again. Uh, which is really problematic uh, when she moved here originally. Lindsay's from Arizona, uh, born and raised in Phoenix. And a- Arizona has one season, hot. Uh, and so she came to New York, and you know, it's the middle of summer, and she's looking at like these winter clothes, and she's like... I never wear these. Like, why, why am I going to keep these in my closet? And then, of course, you know, October rolls around. And by the way, if you're from Arizona, winter starts in New York in October. October rolls around. It's like, where are all the winter clothes? Oh, I got rid of them because I never wear them anymore. Uh, she's a, a kind of get things out as quickly as possible. But this, this phenomenon of like offloading things, like possessions and items and kind of giving things away, it's an interesting phenomenon to me because sometimes there, there are things that we're willing to just dispose of that at a, an earlier time in our life were precious to us. Sometimes there are things that maybe we saved up for that we had our eye on, like they, they, we were excited when we got them. They were treasures to us. And then, you know, over time, life changes and our priorities change and things change. And all of a sudden, these, these treasured possessions are now disposable. And yes, of course, some things wear out and they break and we get rid of them. But there are other things that are still in good working condition. They just, they're no longer of interest to us. And this, this phenomenon comes to mind today, because today is Palm Sunday, as we've been talking about, and Palm Sunday is an interesting day in the calendar of the Christian church, because today is the day Jesus came into Jerusalem, riding on a, uh, this donkey, on the colt of a donkey, and everyone's praising, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise the king, right? Logan read that passage a little earlier for us, blessed be the king of Israel, praise Jesus the king, and, and many people in that crowd, that same crowd of people people only five days later will be saying, crucify him. And how is it that this precious king who they want to bless, this treasured king, is five days later disposable? Someone worth offloading. And I think this is an important question for us to ask because I don't think, I don't think anybody who is saying Hosanna on Sunday thought they were going to say crucify him on Friday. I don't think anybody sitting in that crowd on Sunday was thinking, you know, I'm going to hold on to Jesus now, but by the end of the week, let's get rid of him, right? Everyone thought on Sunday that they wanted to keep him, and they were quickly willing to dispose of him. And what is it that happens? How does a person get there? And if it could happen to them, what's to say it can't happen to us? Right? We're, we're sitting here right now. You're here because you, I'm assuming most of us are saying, Jesus is king. We love him. We're passionate about him being our king. But so were they. And they were quickly willing to get rid of him. 
And all of us know somebody, I'm sure all of us probably know multiple people that at one point were passionate about Jesus and at some point later in their life, he became disposable. So how do we prevent that from going on in our lives? And so we're going to be looking at this conversation today between Jesus and Pilate and the chief priests are brought in there a little bit, but this is this conversation that happens after Jesus is arrested and just before he's crucified. And in this conversation, I think we get a sneak peek, a little window into how it is that Jesus becomes a a disposable king. Already at this point, just before this passage that we're gonna get into, Peter has denied Jesus. Peter, who even just hours before said, Jesus, I will follow you to the grave. I love you so much. I'm so passionate about you. And just within hours was willing to deny Jesus. And now we come to this passage where the chief priests are bringing Jesus to Pilate. And Pontius Pilate, if you're not familiar, he was the the Roman governor. Israel at the time was part of the Roman Empire. And so they were under uh, uh, subjugation to the Roman Empire. And uh, Pilate is not Jewish. He's the Roman. He's the extension of Caesar. He's the arm of Caesar, the Roman Empire, enforcing itself in Jerusalem at the time, and the chief priests bring Jesus to Pilate because the chief priests want Jesus to die. And Pilate says, well, why don't you take him and you try him in your own courts? And the chief priest said, well, we don't have the ability. We don't have the authority to execute anybody. This man needs to die. And so Pilate hears all this, and he goes inside, and he wants to talk to Jesus. He wants to understand what, what happened here. And he says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Right, so the the chief priests, they told Pilate that Jesus was claiming to be the king of the Jews. That's why they, they think he needs to die. He's claiming to be the king of the Jews. And Jesus says, is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. He says, what is it you have done? What in the world did you do that they are so upset, that they're so angry, that they want to kill you? Because Pilate's not dumb. Pilate knows the Jews don't like the fact that Rome is in power, all right? And they would love it. They would love it if a king, a, a Jewish king, would rise up and free them from Roman oppression and redo the whole like Exodus story, right? A new Moses to come up and rescue them from this oppressive empire. They would love a king. So they aren't, they aren't bringing Jesus to Pilate to have him executed because Jesus is claiming to be king. They want a king. Pilate knows this. But he's saying, wait a second. They want a king. That's not why they want you dead. What in the world did you do that the chief priests want you to die? And look what Jesus says. His response to this is, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus has this funny way of not answering questions directly. (laughs) It's like, that doesn't seem to answer the question. And sometimes he, he does this where he like, instead of answering the question you ask, he answers the question you should have asked. But I actually think in this case, Jesus is answering the question. What is it that Jesus has done that's so offensive? Well, Jesus came in and claimed to be king, but with a kingdom from another world. And the chief priests, they weren't interested in an otherworldly kingdom. They were interested in a kingdom here. Here and now, right? Jesus is saying, I got this kingdom over from there. And they're saying, well, no, we want a king from here. King here is going to establish a kingdom here. Is going to push out the Roman Empire. A king who's going to represent our interests. 
So their issue isn't that Jesus claimed to be king. It's just that, you know, Jesus isn't the king they want. It's like, hashtag not my king, right? And you know, at first, at first, it's not a big deal. Jesus is making these claims to be king, but who cares? He's nobody. Like the, but, but over a few years, he's gaining, he's gaining popularity. He's gaining prestige. He's gaining power and all of that. And now they're starting to feel threatened because if Jesus does become king, he's not the king they want. And so the chief priests, they're saying, we don't want King Jesus because his kingdom is incompatible with our lifestyle, incompatible with the lives that we want to lead. Now, this, this of course, happened, this was a slow burn for the chief priests, right? This happened over a long period of time. We get that. There's always going to be people who don't like Jesus from the beginning. But how is it that the, the crowds of Jews that were shouting Hosanna on Sunday came to agree with them on, on Friday that, they, that Jesus is not the king that they want. And I, and I think what's going on is, is each and every one of us, we have desires and we have expectations that are incompatible with King Jesus. Every one of us, I have desires that are incompatible with King Jesus. You have desires that are incompatible, right? You have those, those moments where you desire something and you know that's not what Jesus wants for you. You know, and it looks so, you just, there's that juicy piece of gossip that you really want to share and you just know Jesus is like, that is not compatible with my kingdom. Or, or that little half-truth that, you know, just telling this half-truth is going to make life so much easier. And so you have that desire in that moment or that, that relationship that you want to pursue and you just know Jesus is saying, flee from there, but you're just, you want it so badly. Or that, that television show that you want to watch because it's just, it, it's engrossing and it's entertaining. You know that if Jesus was sitting next to you, he'd be cringing right now, but you're just, we, we have these desires that are, in, are incompatible with King Jesus. But not only do we have desires that are incompatible with King Jesus, we have expectations. So there are these desires that are unmeetable, right? And there are these unmet expectations that we, we all have of Jesus. Things that we, we hoped he would bring into our life and he, he hasn't quite delivered. Now look, look what Jesus says. He says, my kingdom's not of this world. He says, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. Says so my kingdom's from another world, and if it, if my kingdom was here, my servants would prevent my arrest. But because it's from another place, they don't. Which means, get this, which means Jesus being arrested is not incompatible with his kingdom. Jesus being crucified is compatible with his kingdom. That somewhere along the way, Jesus actually being arrested and tried, and people beating him, and him being crucified is not incompatible with his kingdom. And Justin touched on this last week, but suffering and loss and pain is not incompatible with Jesus' kingdom. Suffering, pain, and loss is not incompatible when it's in this life, right? Because Jesus' promise is that there's, there's going to be no suffering or pain here, but here, there will be. And that doesn't always gel, <laughs> It hurts. And sometimes we expect Jesus to, to protect us and insulate us from these things. We have these expectations and we say, well, Jesus, I, I expected by now that you'd get me out of this dead-end job, that my career would take off, that I'd find that sense of purpose, or, or I expect by now that I'd be able to provide the kind of life that I, I thought I'd be able to provide for myself and my family, and it's just not that, and it's not getting better. It doesn't look like there's a light at the end of this tunnel. 
Maybe Jesus hasn't brought that special someone into your life and you thought, well, he, he should, right? Isn't that part of his kingdom? And it's, it's not. Maybe there's a, a trauma that you experienced that Jesus didn't protect you from. And it's a trauma that you, you deal with every waking moment of your life. And you expected that King Jesus would step in because you want these things to be incompatible with his kingdom, and somehow they are. And when we see that, we say, well, these, these desires and these expectations are incompatible with King Jesus, so we have to either get rid of the desires and expectations, or we get rid of King Jesus. And every one of us has these unmeetable desires and these unmet expectations. And I think the people in the crowd on Palm Sunday had unmeetable desires and expectations just like every one of us. And they were willing to push them aside for the moment. But by the time Friday came, those things came to the forefront. And it didn't happen in a vacuum. We're actually told that the chief priests, they stirred up the crowd. They actually brought these things out. They started whispering in people's ears, reminding them of these unmeetable desires and these unmet expectations and getting them to see, don't you, don't you realize Jesus isn't the king that you want? Don't you realize that Jesus is incompatible with the life that you want? And, and here's the reality that an incompatible king is a disposable king. An incompatible king, one that doesn't fit into our lives anymore. He just he doesn't work in our lives anymore. We're, we're going to be willing to get rid of him. Dispose of him. And you, you probably know someone who somewhere along the way, this was their story, where Jesus became incompatible with their life. I had a, a friend in college, and he we became friends freshman year of college and we were super close and he loved Jesus. Uh, and he knew his Bible well. Like he probably still to this day knows, uh, like he knows Christian apologetics better than I do now. And like that was coming out of high school. Like he just loved Jesus. He knew a lot and all of those things. And over time, there were certain desires that started to develop. And and he recognized that these desires were incompatible with King Jesus, with Jesus' kingdom. And, and he just let those desires grow and grow and grow. A little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then he surrounded himself with people that were going to fan those desires into flame and say, yeah, yeah, no, you should pursue this. You should pursue this. And so then there's this girl, and he, he really just wanted to start a relationship with a girl, and he really wanted the kind of relationship that he knew was incompatible with Jesus. Like, he knew all of it. He saw it happening in real time, and yet it just it kept growing and growing and growing until Jesus became incompatible with his life and ultimately disposable. And Jesus was rooted out of his life. And, and you probably know people in this story, and it's heartbreaking to see. So I want to encourage you, do you know the areas in your life? Do you know the unmeetable desires and the unmet expectations that are incompatible with King Jesus, that you're aware of them, that you're not letting them fan into flame? And are you aware of the people that are speaking into your life that might be fanning those unmeetable desires and unmet expectations that are building them up rather than helping you tear them down so that Jesus can be king in your life? But the Jews were not the only ones that crucified Jesus. 
right? Herod, Pilate was there too. And he had to be a part of it. And so after Jesus says this, Pilate responds. He says, you're a king then? You're, you are a king? Uh, and Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. Which, of course, is Jesus' way of saying, well, sort of. I'm a king, but probably not like you think. Uh, he says, in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. All right? So he switches gears, talks about truth. And he says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. All right? So now he changes his whole thing. It's not about king. It's about truth. And Pilate asks this question. He says, what is truth? Which is a really great question. What is truth? And you can get into a whole lot of things about like objective truth versus subjective truth and perception versus reality and what is knowable and all of those things. There's actually a whole branch of philosophy called epistemology that just tries to answer this question. What is truth? But we're not going to focus on that because what's, what's even more important to see, he asked this question and then it says, with this, he went out again to the Jews gathered there. So he asked the question, but he doesn't even wait around for an answer. Pilate isn't interested in, in the, the answer to this question of what is truth. He's asking it more like, like Tina Turner asks about love, right? What's truth got to do, got to do with it? Uh, it? It's more of like, what is truth? What is the relevance of truth? Because he doesn't, Pilate's not a philosopher. He doesn't subscribe to that whole thing. He's a politician. In fact, one of the, the commentators, he says, to a pragmatic Roman governor, Jesus was nothing more than a harmless, cynic philosopher, a nuisance perhaps, but surely no threat. Pilate asks, what is truth of the very one who is truth? You get that? You see that irony? He asks, what is truth of the very one? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But Pilate was hardly interested in philosophical matters. He was interested in politics. So Pilate, it's not that Pilate had anything against Jesus. It wasn't that Jesus was incompatible. It was that Jesus was irrelevant. He could care less. Like, whatever Jesus had to offer, Pilate just was uninterested in it because he was interested in politics, and Jesus wasn't really interested in his political career. And Pilate, I just want you to know, Pilate tried to rescue Jesus. Like, multiple times. Look what he says. He comes out after this, and he says, I find no basis for a charge against him. So Pilate's like, let's not kill him. There's no, and, and he gives again, look, I'm bringing him out to you let, to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. A second time. Then a third time. He says, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. And then even later, he says, from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. All right, so Jesus was irrelevant to Pilate's life, but Pilate didn't have any reason to want to get rid of him. It was just kind of there, let Jesus do his own thing. But ultimately, in the end, the story ends. Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. So even though Pilate, you know, he tried, he's like, oh, you know, yeah, Jesus, let Jesus do what his thing. I don't want to kill him or whatever. But eventually, he still, he was pressured to that point where he's willing to crucify Jesus because an irrelevant king is also a disposable king. Pilate had nothing against Jesus. He just didn't need Jesus. Jesus was like that, that old shirt that hangs like in the back of your closet. You like forget that it's even there. It's like been there so long and you never wear it. And you, you like, it's not until the point where you run out of room in your closet that you're like, all right, I need to clean something out. You're like, oh yeah, I forgot that was in there. And you just toss it out because at that point it's irrelevant and it's disposable. 
And so for Pilate, he had nothing against Jesus, but Jesus was irrelevant, and so he was disposable. It wasn't, there's no reason to keep him around if it wasn't convenient. Now, of course, we're here on a Sunday, and we're, you know, it's Palm Sunday, and we're celebrating Jesus. So, of course, Jesus is relevant to our lives, right? But at the same time, have you ever had, like, one of those days, and it's a super chaotic day, and you're running around, and there's a million things that you're doing, and you're just, and your head finally hits the pillow at night, and before you fall to sleep, you, you think, like, ah, oh, let me just say a prayer, and you realize in that moment, actually, I don't know if Jesus has even come to mind in the last, like, waking hours. That, man, I just went through a whole day, and Jesus was not really there, right? You can be honest, all right? I expect it, it to happen to you. It happens to me sometimes, and I work in the church, all right? Like, I will be literally doing, like, quote-unquote ministry, and I get so caught up in things that Jesus actually gets squeezed out a little bit, right? And if it happens in that context, I, I imagine it can happen in your context where the, the actual grind, the actual day-to-day stuff, Jesus kind of gets pushed out, and he becomes irrelevant in that moment. We have a day where Jesus was irrelevant to our lives. And if it can happen for a day, then of course it can build from there. And one day can turn into three days, can turn into a week, can turn into months. And next thing you know, Jesus is that old shirt in the back of the closet that you you kind of forget is there. And you leave him there for a little while until, well, you need to make room for something else. And he just gets pushed out altogether. And I, I wish I could share like a, a real story of this happening, uh, but unfortunately, I could share dozens of stories of this happening. And I probably don't need to because you've probably seen this happen where, where we're kind of going through life and people that, you know, at one point they, they have this passionate faith, they just get caught up in the busyness of life and Jesus keeps getting pushed to the side and he becomes increasingly irrelevant in their lives and as he becomes increasingly irrelevant, he becomes increasingly disposable. We're able to just offload him. Because we're so, we get so caught up in everything that's happening here that his kingdom from there just doesn't, it's irrelevant to our lives. It's heartbreaking when this happens, not just because they're walking away from Jesus, but also because of what they're walking into. Right? Because we, we might have this picture in our minds that if we walk away from King Jesus, that we're walking into kinglessness where we become king of the castle. It's not, it's not quite how it works. Look what happens. So Pilate, he appeases the Jews a, a little bit, and he has Jesus beaten, and the, the soldiers are mocking him. They think it's funny that Jesus claims to be king, so they dress him up like a king. They put a purple robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on him, and then Pilate puts him out in front of the people and is like, here's your king. Here, you take him. And here's how the the crowd responds. It says they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. And Pilate, sort of tongue-in-cheek, says, shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked, and they they reply. They say, we have no king. All right, so the same people that a week ago were saying, blessed be the king of Israel, saying, we have no king. And this is where the sentence should stop. Like, this is where you would expect it to stop. We have no king. And especially for the Israelites, Right? These are God's chosen people who God called out and God himself said, I'm going to be your king. This is where it should stop. We have no king. But Caesar, 
This is how the sentence finishes for them. We have no king but Caesar? God's chosen people pledging allegiance to Caesar? Now remember, they, they went to Pilate, who's the, the extension of Caesar, at the start of this. They went to Pilate because they wanted Caesar to do something for them, right? They wanted Caesar to be able to execute Jesus. And in, in this whole strategy, Caesar was supposed to be serving them in their interests, and before they know it, they are pledging allegiance to Caesar. And this is inevitably what happens in our lives that we we can try to pull Jesus out of our lives and say, we have no king in Jesus. And we might say, we have no king and want to stop it there. But there is going to be a but. There is going to be a but. And and there is going to be a king that takes his place. And it might not be a person. Sometimes it's, it's things outside of us. Something like work, right? Work. Man, you guys, some of you, I've talked to you, and I I know this is true, where you wish you worked less. You wish your job wasn't all-consuming. And there was a point in time, right? There was a point in time where your job was supposed to work for you. Like, you, you took the job because it was supposed to be meeting your needs. And now, the tables have flipped, and now you live for your job. Your job owns you. Your job is your king. And you're like, whoa, what happened? Or maybe it's financial security. Financial security, is, it's a great thing uh, to, to have and work toward and being responsible, all of that. And financial security is one of those things that should serve us, right? It's supposed to be meeting our needs, but over time, it, it becomes something outside of us. And now, this drive for financial security, it rules us. It's calling the shots. And rather than it serving us, we're serving it. Or does anybody feel like your schedule is just a little out of control? Like, like you, it's just a little frantic and you feel like you don't have a choice. Honest, honestly, anybody feel like your schedule is out of control and at this point you just don't even have a choice, right? Which is crazy because like we choose that somewhere along the way. All right, somewhere along the way, we've made a decision to, to engage in that, but there's something outside of us that's saying, no, 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 you need to stick to this. You need to keep doing this. There's a king that's calling the shots in our lives and saying, this is what you need to do if you want to fill in the blank. I like to call it the king of normal. It's just normal. This is what you do. Like, if you're a responsible adult, this is what you do. If you're a responsible parent who wants to give your kids a normal life, this is what you do. The king of normal calling the shots in our lives and we're, we're enslaved to it at times. And so Saying no to King Jesus doesn't mean yes to freedom. Saying no to King Jesus doesn't mean yes, we have full autonomy in our lives. And you guys, you guys know this. You feel that tension in yourselves. Sometimes this, this replacement king isn't something outside of us. It's something inside, something within, right? Desires in our lives that uh, they go from being simply desires to things that instead of them serving us, we're serving them, right? And we all have desires that, some desires that it's okay to embrace, some desires that we should restrain and some desires that we should completely suppress, right? Like we all agree about that. We don't always agree about which ones should be embraced, right? Like I imagine, imagine you're married. Uh, If you are married, that shouldn't be hard. Uh, Imagine you love your spouse, 
which I, if you're married, I hope is also not hard. Uh, and your spouse, imagine they have like a, a medical condition, something that they're really, really uh, like sensitive about. It kind of causes them deep pain and this sense of shame and everything like that. It's very self-conscious about it. And imagine somebody, uh, somebody pokes fun at your spouse and their medical condition. Imagine they do it on national television. I know it's really hard to imagine that scenario, but imagine you look to them and you see just the horror and the pain in their face. I think most people would desire, in that moment, would desire to get up out of their seat and slap that person across the face, right? I think most people would have that desire. Now, some would say, okay, but you need to suppress that desire, reject that desire. Others say, you know, you should embrace that desire, right? And if you go to the internet, you see it's, there's every opinion about whether you suppress it or embrace it or whatever. But here's the thing that we can all agree about. We all have desires that should be embraced and we all have desires that should be limited and restricted and, and suppressed. And like those, that, that's normal. But when you get to a place where a desire must, must be satisfied, when everything else gets to kind of, uh, you know, fall off the side, as long as I get to satisfy this desire, when that happens, then that desire has become king. It's a royal desire in our lives at this point. And of course, we can see it in the extreme of addiction, right? When somebody has an addiction to a substance or something like that, they just lose control in these areas. But you don't have to be an addict in kind of the the normal way we think of it for somebody to lose themselves to these desires. And we say, no, 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 I have to have this. And if Jesus says no to this desire, well, then I don't want Jesus. He becomes disposable. But before you know it, we're, we're serving these desires rather than serving us. There's always a king in our lives. Getting rid of Jesus doesn't get rid of the king. There's always a king, but there's only one king who's going to lay his life down for you. There's only one king who would give himself for you in this way. This is a thread throughout the whole conversation between Jesus and Pilate. It says, uh, Pilate is trying to get Jesus to just work with him here. Like, help him get off. And he says, don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above, right? This is Jesus' subtle way of reminding, like, actually, I'm, I'm in control of this whole situation. I know what's going on. It's a reminder of something Jesus says earlier in John. In John 10, he says, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. We are going to serve a king. There's only one king I know of who loves you enough to lay down his life for you. And there will be times where there will be unmeetable desires, desires that just don't go satisfied because he has something better for you. And there's times where our expectations aren't met in the way that we hope. Here. But he's going to exceed those desires and expectations here. He's made this promise because he's not just the king who lays down his life for us, he's the one who takes it up again, right? He has the power of resurrection in him as well. And I don't, I can't make this decision for you, but I will tell you this is the king that I want. 
I can't imagine serving a better king than the one who would lay down his life for me. Because these other kings, they're going to just take and take and take. And some of you have just been in that place where it just feels like they're taking and taking and taking and they're stripping your life away. They're holding out this promise of joy and satisfaction in one hand, but they're just taking and taking and taking with the other hand. Or there's King Jesus who says, come Follow me. It's going to be a hard road. But I'm going to lay down my life for you so that I can bring you immeasurable joy. He says, come, live in my kingdom. Even though you're here, you can live in this kingdom. Embrace this kingdom here. And as you do, as we do, as we, we press into that, Right? And Justin talked about this last week, this idea of us being ambassadors for Christ. As, as we press into that idea of being ambassadors for Christ, living for this kingdom while we're here, Jesus becomes increasingly compatible. Right? His kingdom is what we, we serve. And those desires and those expectations that are incompatible with Jesus well, they, they start to, to drift off to the side. They, they just aren't important anymore. They become the shirt that's in the back of the closet that you're like, well, it's no, longer, it's no longer helpful for my pursuit of this kingdom. They're no longer that important because I want this kingdom over there. And those desires and those, those other kings that used to rule over you, maybe those desires and kings that are ruling over you right now in some way, well, they become increasingly irrelevant and incompatible to your pursuit of Jesus' kingdom. And you know what you get to do with irrelevant and incompatible kings? You get to dispose of them. And they have no power over you anymore. But it, it, it starts by us not just making a, a mental decision to say, I want to embrace Jesus, his kingdom. Not, it's not just about shouting Hosanna on Sunday. It's about pressing into that kingdom, embracing that identity as ambassadors of Christ and saying every day, I want, to, I want Jesus to be my king. I want him to call the shots in the big things and the little things in my life. That Jesus is the king that I want. Let's pray. Father, we become acknowledging, confessing that, that our, there are times where we keep Jesus at arm's length because he does feel incompatible with what we want in the moment and other times where we just get so caught up in other busyness that that it becomes irrelevant in our day-to-day -day lives. God, and that, that's something that we all struggle with and we, we confess that, but we praise you, God, that there is that constant invitation for us to make Jesus king. And whatever happened yesterday, in whatever ways we might have tried to dispose of Jesus in the past, today we can embrace him as king we can be a part of that kingdom. We, we praise you that you didn't just come and assert your authority and force us into subjection, but you came instead to lay down your life and to
to allure us, to, to draw us in, to show how lovely and loving you are. That we won't just serve you as your, your slaves or your subjects, but that we might love you as our Father. God, I pray that your Spirit is doing that work in our lives, developing that love for you, that passion to serve you as our King, God, so that these other kings will become increasingly irrelevant and incompatible with our lives so that we can dispose of them and experience the freedom that comes in following Jesus. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.